We're living in a time of economic struggle. It's really an economic vortex if you think about what we're living through right now. First it was uh, the housing market and now it's bleeding over into the auto industry. Uh, the auto industry can't build cars. We uh, can't afford to buy them because we can't get credit. That means people are going to be laid off. So therefore, there's going to be more demand on uh, the social network to support people who are unemployed, which means that there are going to be fewer people who are going to be spending money, which means there's going to be less taxes to support those who are not working. And the vortex just goes around and around, and there's this deep sucking sound in the world. And we all are afraid. We stand in fear, and we don't know what to do about it. Another way to think about what we're experiencing is like a black hole in space. Now, a black hole is, is a star that's lost all of its energy, and it's no longer shining, it's no longer visible. And the very gravity of the mass of that star now gone cold is so great that it brings it together. The gravity makes the whole planet collapse. And it has such a strong gravitational pull that even light photons cannot escape. And you can no longer see that object because there is no light coming out of it. No light is the way the world would be if we didn't have Jesus Christ, the light of the world. That we would be collapsing into a dark hole. But today I want to proclaim that the light of the world is coming. And we don't need to be in that sucking sound of a vortex or to be caught up in a collapsing cold star in a black hole. But we can live in the light of Jesus Christ. Pray with me, please. Lord God, we are grateful that you sent your Son, Emmanuel, God, with us in this baby that is called Jesus. Lord, open us now to your word of hope and encouragement that we might see a new dawn in the coming of the light in a new way in our lives, and in the world. Amen. Steve was reading about that great story when Elizabeth and Zachariah were giving birth to their son. And the question was, what was he going to be called or named? And God had said his name is to be John. But there was nobody named John in that family. And in fact, everybody assumed that he would be called after his father, Zechariah. And in fact, God had made Zechariah mute until the naming of the baby, which was the father's prerogative. The father got to do it. The mother really didn't have any, any say. But God had spoken to Elizabeth and to Zechariah, and so he couldn't talk, and so she said, the baby's name is to be John. 
And all of the neighbors says, oh no, no, there's nobody in the family by that name. Isn't it going to be Zachariah? Really? Come on, Dad, tell us. What's the real name? And John, or Zachariah indicates it's going to be John, just as the Lord had said. And then, the neighbors were all filled with awe or fear. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all of these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand is with him. And so they were talking about this in the neighborhood. In fact, throughout all of Judea, sort of like the whole state of Utah talking about something. And they were talking about, what does this mean? And you know what? 2,000 years later, there are a whole bunch of us that are still asking that question. What does all of this mean? These stories that we hear. The prophecies of the Old Testament. The words of Isaiah so long before now being fulfilled in Elizabeth and Zechariah, being filled in Mary and Joseph, and ultimately in Jesus' birth. That the Savior is come, that the prophecies are fulfilled, and that God is faithful still. That's what is being talked about all over the land and still being talked about today. Now, there is another John. He's a a 21st century one. And he was born into a religious family. And in that family, they went to a church where there was a lot of law and not much grace. That there was a lot of obedience and not much soul freedom. That there was expectations that you would learn the party line and that you would hold to it. And when John of the 21st century grew in strength, he left that church. He abandoned the worship. And he ceased to believe in anything. And in fact, he was so angry at the church in general that he swore he would never enter into a church again. When it came to be Christmas time, he left the country and went to Central America. Would spend a couple of weeks there where it was warm and he didn't have to see all of the, the glitz and glitter, all of the buying and the greed that seemed to be what was inherent in an American Christmas. And he didn't have to go to church or be guilted by his friends and his family that, oh, you should be in church because this is an important time of the year. No, this John, though quite wealthy, was very dark in his soul. And he didn't know that he had become like a black hole and there was no light emanating from him to give encouragement to the world. We live in a time when we're all nervous about religion because we're not clear 
And we hear all kinds of things about it. I pulled a couple of quotes about how nervous we might be. Of course, there's Robert Kirby, who one time wrote a column uh, about uh, no one is fair when it comes to religion. You know, you can take any religion and you can pull out that which is the worst of it, or you can make a caricature, caricature of that by exploding writ large what it is that that religion is about. So this is, what, this is Kirby's attempt to do exactly that with Christianity. The real God is a shape-shifting entity born of a virgin who cured blindness with a spit and busted out of his tomb after being lynched. A God you periodically honor by ritualistically eating him so that he won't kill you when he comes back. You see how you can make religion look bad. And everything he said is sort of true. You get all of these letters to the editor uh, about uh, religion. And it was a year ago that a fellow wrote in, and I'm going to read his quote. You can update it over the past 12 months, things that have gone on since then. But this is what he said. He's talking about all of the letters to the editor that have been going on in the weeks leading up to his, which was on the 14th of December. However, the articles just reflect, reflect more of the sick effects of religion on man. From the demonstrations on Temple Square and protesting that Romney is not a Christian to the war in Bosnia to the Crusades, there have been many tragedies resulting from man's stupid obsession with religion. Man is probably stuck with the God part of the brain that was described by Mark Alper in some article. The spiritual tendency that maybe had survival benefits previously. But we could use some freedom from religion. You see how darkness can be a part of a person's life. But I'm here today to tell you that we don't have to argue about saying Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. That there's more important things that we need to be about to let our lights shine in the world. And thank you, Ken, for giving me a lead-in directly to this. The challenge is, is that I, I've talked about how we are drawn to the light and how we need to find the light. And now we need to think about how can we share the light. In this economic vortex, we are going to be having people who are going to lose their job. How are we going to support those people and allow them to see the light? Some people are going to lose their home because of the mortgage crisis. How are we going to let a light shine that gives them encouragement and hope. 
Young people who are being inundated by negativity about people who don't believe and who ridicule and make fun of the faith that we hold so dear. And in their young tender years, they're not sure how to put that into perspective. How do we share the light with them? As resources become less, there's going to be more crime. People are going to be forced into doing things that they would not normally do, but without a job, they're not going to let their children starve. How are we going to share the light with them? Because sharing the light is what we're about. It's what Christmas is about. It's what First Baptist Church is about. We stand as a beacon on the hill that is to shine the light of the love of Christ to this whole valley and to this state. And how, just how, are we going to do that? Well, John of the 21st century fell in love with a woman who was actively involved in a church just like First Baptist. She brought him to the church. He came kicking and screaming, grumbling and denying. But he came, and when he got to the church, he began to see that this was a different kind of church, one that emphasized grace and not law. One that allowed you to ask questions and to seek answers for yourself. And in fact, a church that expected you to be responsible for your own faith and not to lean upon the faith of your parents or the institution. And John saw that this was a congregation that was open-hearted and open-handed, that shared with people in the community, that collected food and underwear so that those that were cold or were hungry could be fed. He saw that these were a people who would visit the prison or that would go out and ring the bell for Salvation Army. And all of a sudden he saw that religion can be more than what he had experienced. And then going to church was no longer a burden but a joy. He saw the light that added meaning to people's lives. And pretty soon that dim bulb that had burned out and was cold began to glow slightly and then more brightly. And pretty soon, he was going down to feed the hungry every night of the week. One week, he noticed that they didn't have any shoes down there. There were a lot of people whose feet were getting cold as the snow came and the winter weather set in. So he went to one of the shoe stores and bought 50 pairs of shoes. And he went down that evening and said, Hey, buddy, you need a pair of shoes? What size do you wear? Here you go. I was at that woman's house where he fell in love, the woman he fell in love with. I was at her house. And here were all of these sleeping bags. And I said, What are those? And she said, Well, John bought 50 sleeping bags, and I have to take them tonight down and give them away because it's getting so cold. People have nowhere to sleep. John's light 
grew brighter and brighter because there had been a person and a people who let the light of Christ shine out and share that light of love and hope and encouragement so that there's a new way of understanding what this thing of religion is all about. There's this one passage in the Bible that has haunted me all week. And it goes like this. It says, let me share with you what I have first received. You see, we have all received the light of Christ. Let me share with you what I at first received. It's our responsibility, having heard the gospel, having had the seed of faith planted and the light growing brighter, it's our responsibility to share the light that we have found. There, there was a man who uh, every Sunday, they both met in their respective driveways that were next to each other. And the one man had his golf clubs over his shoulder, and the other one had his Bible in his hand. And the golfer always said, do you want to go golfing today, George? And the guy says, no, 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 I'm going to church. Well, this went on for ten years. And one day, George just finally said, well, why don't you ever go to church? You always go golfing on a Sunday morning. And the man said, you never invited me. Ten years, the golfer invited him to go golfing, but not once did he invite his friend to come to church to receive that which was excitingly meaningful in his life. And so we are to share what we have first received. We are to share the light. To share the light that illumines so that we can see in the darkness. To share the light that warms so that we're no longer captured by the cold. To share the light that leads so that we can see where we're going in the way of God. So we search for and we find the light and now it is our responsibility to share the light of the world. Because God has sent His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but will have eternal life. Friends, recommit your life to living the light of Christ alive in your hearts. Amen.